You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, Shanghai Masters Podcast. It's a Thursday here. I'm Ed McGrogan talking with Steve Tigner, who's pulled the early morning shift, uh, not exactly the late night shift when this is going on here in New York, but uh, Steve's been covering the, each day with a journal for us on Tennis.com. Um, and, and we're boiled down to a point now in the quarterfinals where it, it's a very unmasters-like quarterfinal arrangement here, especially when you think about uh, how top-heavy the tour has been this year. But um, if you want to run down it kind of kind of what's left, and we can also talk about you know what happened today in a very upset-filled day. Yeah, I'm sort of liking this this draw. Um, you know, when you start without Djokovic and Federer, you know it's going to be a little more wide open. But now you know, Nadal's gone, Fish lost, Songa lost, um, so we've got Florian Mayer versus Feliciano Lopez, David Ferrer versus Andy Roddick, Andy Murray versus someone named Matthew Ebden, um, Kane Shikori and Dolgopolov. So it's a, it seems to me like a tournament where it's, it's some guys that, that, we, that we have seen as possibly doing well, but you know, have been kept under by the top guys who are who are you know, a guy like Dolgopolov or Nishikori seem like they've been knocking on the door for a while but haven't been able to to get to this to get to this point. I think it's both of their first Masters quarterfinals, which is pretty amazing and shows, you know, like you said, how how top heavy the tour has been. And even those guys who have been around are good players. This is a sort of a breakthrough for them. Yeah, and, and you're right about the mix of players. You have Lopez here who of late has um it's done very well actually kind of overall he's probably actually one of the better unseated players in the in this tournament remaining um Murray of course is coming off two wins and and is you know if he hasn't tired himself out is probably a pretty strong favor here to actually sweep through this Asian swing here um you know David Ferrer compared to some of these guys here is almost like a dominant number 3 which I don't think he would ever True, ever say aside from like a clay court tournament, and then you have Roddick here, who um, sort of all forgotten really, but you know he's kind of went through his matches methodically, I guess, and gotten to this point. He takes Ferrer on in the in the probably the most enter, you know the most interesting quarterfinal tomorrow. Um, just what do you see between between those two, and then we'll head back to a couple others. Well, they've played. I guess it's interesting because they've played two. Pretty significant matches this summer. Uh, Ferrer beat Roddick in straight sets at the Davis Cup, I'm sure, and and then Roddick turned that around at the U.S. Open when they had the court controversy, and Roddick pretty much um, led everybody out to court 13. And, and Ferrer didn't seem like Ferrer knew what hit him, uh, but you know this this is a good this is a good matchup. Roddick played really well against Almagro today, served incredibly well. Uh, Almagro was the seventh seed. Roddick beat him three and four. Not that surprising on a pretty fast hard court. But um, you know this match is a is a toss up. I Ferrer will come in a, probably a little more tired. He played th- three sets against Ferrero and he played a tough match against Raonic uh, the other night. But I, you know, I, I like this match. This is definitely a um, a pretty hard baseline slog between the two. I guess you got to I guess you have to take Ferrer overall. And then for for Meyer here, who who will get Lopez? You know, Meyer is the one who beat Nadal today, um, two sets, one first set and a breaker. Um, from what I saw, you know, 
extremely serving, you know, an unbelievably good day. Rafa had a hard time just getting points. Um, just, I guess, what, what did you see from Meyer, and then what did you also see from Rafa in, uh, you know, that big takeaway from that early morning match? Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think Nadal played badly overall. He was a little tentative and made a couple poor decisions in the tiebreaker that you normally wouldn't you wouldn't think would happen from him. He got up four two. He was using his forehand. Mayer looked a little down because he'd had some chances earlier. It seemed like all right now Nadal's going to take over, and he didn't. Mayer ended up winning that tiebreaker. Uh, Mayer's a uh, he's twenty eight year old twenty eight years old. He's always a guy that you, it's been fun to watch, and you wonder why he hasn't done better. He's all got all kinds of shots, jumping two handed backhand, which he can also turn into a drop shot. He uses a two hand volley. He's got a he had a great serve today. He can he can he can come to the net. Um, he's a tough guy for Rafa because he hits flat and through the court, and they they'd never played before. Um, I guess the question for Nadal is that maybe you would wonder. Is this just a one-off match? He lost a similar match to Jurgen Meltzer here last year. He never does well in the fall. I don't think he's won a fall Masters event in, in five years. Um, or is this, you know, like we like to say, a sign of decline, a sign of, you know, further sign of joke, what Djokovic has done to his confidence? I would say it's just a, this was just a one-off. I didn't think Rafa played that badly. Mayer took it to him. Nadal struggled with his return and he said afterward that he, he returned terribly and he was right and that's a concern but um but just on judging on Nadal's general fall record over the years I don't think this is a reason to panic yeah I, I'm tend to agree with you on that one the the other side of this draw here is where it's where Murray is um the inevitable Matthew Upton as you mentioned Nishikori who uh, if you were to somehow Go really deep in this tournament. This is quite a tournament to do it in, considering the year that uh, you know the, the, the Japan has had. He's done a lot of relief efforts for them, and this is obviously over in the East. It's all Gopalov here, but um, just centering on Murray since he's been the story the past few weeks is um, you know this is kind of his to lose, I think you would say. But uh, can, can you can you see him pretty much going through this till the till the final here, or do um, you know does does something something trigger any any other thoughts yeah i don't know much about ebden i i don't think i've ever seen him play he beat he beat simone in a 10-8 in the third set tiebreaker he also beat ryan harrison not a bad not a bad win so but you know you still have to like murray there i guess the thing with murray now is what does this what does this mean for him he's he could win all three fall masters um you know he's fall, he, fall tournaments uh yep Fall Asian tournament, sorry, but he's you know he's done well in the fall in the past, and then not quite not come through at the Australian Open. Uh, I know we always like to wonder what this means for his Slam chances. Um, I do think his win over Nadal in Tokyo could be significant just for the way he did it. He did it by attacking and not by backing down when it didn't work at first, and in the past when it, when that hasn't worked against Nadal, he's backed down and gone back to. To defense this time he didn't do that he was persistent it looked like he'd seen what Djokovic had done to and, 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 and he and that one he also came from a set down and just steamrolled him the rest of the way which is such a very unconventional um, you know way to do any match but especially against a player who just who just beat him in all three of the uh, Grand Slam semis and and I do wonder if um, for Murray that's obviously a far-reaching um, point about about the slams and I, and I and I do think it's kind of 
it is kind of silly to project that far. But but more immediate in the future would be the you know the London World Tour Finals, which I wonder if for Murray, who who's you know from the UK and everything, and hasn't won that, if if even if winning that event would actually be a um, you know a, a pretty significant achievement for him, being that he really has essentially all but the slams on his resume at like what 24 years old or so yeah he uh he said that his goal for this the end of the year is to finish number three rank number three which it looks like he's going to do and to do better at the uh, master's cup the world tour final he didn't say win it he said do better um i'm sure he'd like to win it that would be that would definitely be a significant step up for him i know he he seems like he's felt the pressure there playing in london I uh, played a big match with Federer there a couple of years ago, and you could tell he, he, you know, he felt the pressure from, from, from the home fans. And but no, I think that's that's a legitimate way, for him to advance this year. He's had a good year, a win there. Um, you know, that's a that is a step forward even without winning a Grand Slam. Last question: you you've seen the the tournament from from day one through day four now. And uh, we we have mentioned the crowds and everything. And this morning or this afternoon, they replayed one of the first matches was the Roddick and Almagro match. And and it should be said that there was no outdoor tennis going on because it was raining there. And um, I, I pretty much felt like I was watching a practice session there with some of the some of the distinct echoes you got off the the Roddick serves in the back wall as. Um, does any of this kind of alarm you about the, this really sort of interesting response from uh, from this you know from the crowd there? And obviously, this is a huge targeted audience for the tour and has been for many many years. Interesting lack of response. It's the same thing every year at the uh, at these China, at the tournaments in China. They the fans really don't show up until the weekends. Then the, then the tournament seems fine, but but through the week it's it's pretty. Um, it's pretty bare, uh, pretty sparse crowds. I guess you would have to look at it. The, the ATP is definitely going, you know, they're pushing China just like anybody else's for sponsorships. And you can see that there's good sponsors at this tournament, Rolex, Heineken, uh, FedEx. Um, but it's you wonder whether how far you can push that and still feel like you have a legitimate tournament, a legitimate fan base. China's just doesn't you know I think it's going to take some time before they become tennis fans uh, maybe in 10 years we'll look at this as a smart forward-looking move but right now it's a it can make it for a pretty tough tournament to watch and you also you know when people talk about making a fifth grand slam in China that doesn't that certainly doesn't help help its cause the fans at this tournament yeah was there any any less that was some sort of uh, words tossed around there um, it didn't seem to make too much sense to me, even to really look into a little bit. But what, what was what was that? Was that who was um, bringing that topic up? Really, there was a lot of Chinese journalists at Beijing, because Beijing is is um, dual gender already, and they have a big facility there from the Olympics. So there was some talk, maybe give China a fifth Grand Slam. It was mostly, I think, local journalists just asking about it. So that's why the topic came up. The head of the the tournament director over there, the head of the ATP for for that part of the world. Brad Druitt said there really wasn't much to that idea. Personally, I think a fifth Grand Slam is a great idea. Uh, of course, also with shortening the schedule and doing a bunch of other things. But um, 
it would be a long time, but you wouldn't, you'd, I think you'd have, if you're going to put it somewhere, you got to have to put it somewhere where you're going to have a lot of fans. It's going to feel like a big event. Like South America, maybe? Right. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I like the fifth yeah. Grand Slam idea. Of course, you know, that's never going to happen in this lifetime. Yes. <laughs> yes, all right. Well, uh, thank you, Steve, for taking all that and for, of course, staying up through the morning for the Shanghai Reports. We'll have more of those the rest of the week here on Tennis.com. I'm Ed McGrogan for Steve Tigner. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.